Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome back to the Once Bitten podcast. Today's guest is Brad Mills from across the pond, a Bitcoin maximalist and now investor in Bitcoin early stage startups where he's going to make a massive difference to many different entrepreneurs and companies. So kudos for what you're doing, brother. Really enjoyed this rip with you. Make sure you listen to this one all the way through. Brad and I had a great discussion and he's got a great rabbit hole story as well. Uh, Before we get into the show, make sure you are getting across to some of these conferences. I just got back from Liberty in Our Lifetime in Prague. Amazing city, number one, but a great conference. It was a small conference, around 250 people. It wasn't fully just Bitcoiners. There were a lot of people from the freedom movement, uh, libertarian movement. There were seasteaders. There were people from Prospera in Rotan talking about the Free Private Cities Foundation. Uh, not private, excuse me, Free Cities Foundation and the special economic zone that they've set up there on that amazing Caribbean island, Roatan. Go check it out. I'm looking at hopefully getting over there and, and meeting the guys. Uh, well done to Titus Gable and Peter Young and the rest of the team at Free Cities Foundation for putting on a great event. Look out for it next year as well. Hopefully you guys can um, grow and I'd be more than happy to come back to Prague. Hopefully it won't clash with the Edinburgh Conference, although I think they're moving to London next year. So many events coming up, and I honestly, guys, get a, get along to one. Even if you don't buy the ticket and you just join the, the pleb hangouts in the bars afterwards, the vibe is incredible. It's so worth going. And if you want to start making your own meetups, check out Orange Pill app, foreverlauraforever.com. I'm a big fan of this. I will shill it as hard as I can. I think it's going to make a big difference to a lot of people's lives who have been either lonely or felt cast aside. If you can make relationships with Bitcoiners, it's something indescribable. It truly is. That said, make sure you're checking out the show sponsors. You can stack in the US with Swan Bitcoin. SwanBitcoin.com forward slash Bitten will unlock you a free 10 bucks. Across the UK and Europe, CoinCorner.com. If you use the code, the link in the show notes, that will also unlock £10 for you. They're doing great work. You can set up your auto buys with Coin Corner as well. And Relay, going from strength to strength, they've just dropped a new feature. You can now smash buy via your card and Google Pay, Apple Pay, all of this kind of stuff. This is really getting easy now for noobs. So keep an eye on what Relay are doing because it could be the easiest way to onboard your friends when the ball starts charging again. Consider coin joining, do your own research, or take my word for it and download Wasabi Wallet and have a play around with it. Send some coins in, coin join them, see how it works, get used to it, see if it's something you want to further pursue and start your journey down that rabbit hole. And like I said, you want to stack safe and take control of those coins. 
and get them onto a hardware signing device, you can use the Bitbox 02 by Shift Crypto. Here's my rip with Brad Mills. And I don't have my headphones. Now I do. Testing, testing. That's can us. Can you hear me? That's us. How many how many podcasters does it take to start a podcast recording? That's that's the question of the day. <laughs> well, there's three. three of us here. Three three of us with the right experience. Lauren, uh, you got a question for Brad? Two. Two questions. All right. Two. Oh, wow. When he came in, I was like, Oh yeah, we're interviewing this guy. He has a podcast. Like, oh, okay, I have two questions. Like, oh. <laughs> You're a pro now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. How old are you now? Um, I'm eleven. Eleven. I'm wow. Turn 12 and how many in January? How many podcasts are you got in your belt now? Two hundred and eight. Yeah, probably two hundred and eighty for you. Yeah, because you're probably coming around oh. episode ten. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever done a podcast yourself, the whole thing? No. I want I want to do that though. It'll be cool. You ready? Because a lot of people ask her this question, and up until now it's been but now you met Kingston in Amsterdam. We were at the Bitcoin conference in Amsterdam. And one of the BTC magazine guys bought over his son. Shout out to George. And Kingston is 12. 14. 14, excuse me. Sorry, Kingston. I know you're a big <laughs> fan. I listen all the time. Uh, and Lauren and Kingston started brainstorming on uh, a Bitcoin for Kids podcast. Wicked. Yeah. yeah, my daughter's twelve years old, and she's into Bitcoin too. You guys should talk sometime. You guys should inter. You could interview her, or you could interview other kids. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, on the kids' uh, podcast. Yeah. Do and you we play were... any video games? I play uh, Roblox, but I only play with like one of my friends or my siblings. You could do like kids talking about Bitcoin while playing Roblox. Now, actually, I tried this with Nathan Day. And his son, Sam, and my son, Sam, because yeah. they like to play the Roblox Bitcoin mining game. I oh, didn't there know... is one? Yeah, there's a Bitcoin mining Roblox world. Okay, but but this one is in particular. So what Nathan and I were going to do, because the boys wanted to launch their own YouTube channel, we're like, okay, we got you. Okay, we got you. We can help you with this. And we can also help narrate and teach you guys what you're doing whilst you're running around this land and building your Bitcoin mining rigs and, you know, whatever else. And my God, after 30 minutes, we both had a splitting headache. And I think that lasted <laughs> for about three weeks because these kids, they're running around all over the world, just clicking, <laughs> clicking, clicking, jumping all over the place, blah, 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 blah. And Nathan and I like, what are you guys doing? We're buying mining machines. But why? What are you going to do with them? We're going to put them over here. But why? Oh no! Look, we're wrecked. Like, yeah, because you're not playing the game properly. <laughs> you're so, not going to be efficient with that power grid. Exactly. What are you doing children. Uh, but it's all there. All the dashboard is there. Like the the efficiency that you need and the power that you you're using. You gotta have prizes, I think. Well, the prizes are the Bitcoin that is getting mined. Which they oh, go you're running. Actually, but, give them Bitcoin. Well, you get Bitcoin on the no, not actual Bitcoin. It's like uh, it's got to be actual Bitcoin. You got to give the kids real Bitcoin for <laughs> for making a good mine. Yeah, but then they go running in the uh, the, the mining shop and just spend all of their <laughs> tokens <laughs> to go play keep... miner dress up. Keep... Yeah. <laughs> money to get more good mines. Yeah. So our intentions were exactly as you said. Let's get, uh, but. 
uh, man, that one didn't work out. So we need to we need to rethink. For, for um, because we did this thing where every single check-in had to do something, and it was either like a video game or take photos. A presentation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we took a video of us doing Rainbow Friends, which is another Roblox game. I would say we were good at it. But I think we could have been better. Like yeah, and like, those kind of presentations are just boring unless you're playing the game. Yeah. So anyway, can you ask Brad your question? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I I distracted you. Okay. Um. So my question is, um, why did you start your own podcast? Why did I start my own podcast? Uh, I started my own podcast because I was confused about certain things that were happening in both the financial world with money and with also cryptocurrencies like other cryptocurrencies besides bitcoin and i was wanting to talk to smart people to to kind of have conversations with me because i was getting real paranoid that bitcoin might not succeed or that they might stop it or you know other cryptocurrencies might do better than Bitcoin and stuff like that. So I, I wanted to have conversations initially. That's why I started my podcast to help my uh, myself, but then also my friends and family that were thinking about Bitcoin, buying Bitcoin. And also they were asking me questions about other cryptocurrencies. So initially it was like, well, let me go and talk to lots of people and hash all that stuff out. So I, I have a lot of altcoin people that come on my podcast, probably like 20% of the episodes and it's more like debates like we we have discussions and debates about bitcoin versus cryptocurrencies but that's why I started it originally do you win those debates uh sometimes or did I did I did I come in with such a hardcore preconceived notion that, that they're never going to back down and they've got to stand by whatever they say well the people that I bring on are like friends of mine that I've I've become friends with them, so I'm not like debating them to try to like you know they're not people that are that are trying to like fud Bitcoin or anything really that they're just people that are just really into DeFi or NFTs or all this other stuff. So I just want to have the long conversations with them. Even like I had Pomp on the podcast and I had a conversation with him about it, like Bitcoin versus Ethereum and DeFi and and crypto and blockchain and all that stuff. So. It's not, I don't I know I don't think I ever really like win because they're not contentious debates. It's more so just like long conversations to explore mm -hmm. the topics. I feel like I always come come away with like more conviction in Bitcoin, um, and hopefully change their minds a little bit more towards Bitcoin. Because a lot of people in the cryptocurrency space and the financial space, like the the traditional financial world, they don't really understand Bitcoin. They have preconceived notions about Bitcoin. They think that it's uh, slow or it's it's going to get shut down or like they have all these like very shallow opinions about bitcoin so i have conversations with them to try to like level them up and then also go through the the framework of thinking for myself what was your other question i have two others now oh lauren are you are you a fan of wings of fire the book series no i've had two friends that have read it but all right, you gotta check it out. Something. Yeah, you gotta check it out. There's these characters, there's these dragons and wings of fire that are clairvoyant dragons. They can see the future. 
and they can and they they think through every single path of the future that they can perceive and that that way they they become very valuable in the world in the dragon world because they know who's going to attack and all this stuff and that's i i find a lot of bitcoiners are like that we 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 analyze all the different possible paths of what could happen in the future like a like a clear sight dragon does so it's good it's a good book you should check it out nice all right. All right. That, please, list, I was going to say, please add that to your Christmas list. Because I have nothing else on there. Right under Satoshi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so my second question is, have you ever changed anyone's mind on your podcast? Or for the NFT or different currency bags? Yeah, you know what? I think I've changed a few people's minds because there's this one girl, specifically this one woman, she's She's kind of got made fun of a lot by Bitcoiners because she's one of those no coiners. We call people that kind of don't like Bitcoin. They're they're not cryptocurrency people. They're just normal, like traditional financial markets people. And this woman's name is Francis Coppola. And she wrote she wrote a thread one time about how Bitcoin can never work as a currency because it's infinitely divisible. And she kind of got made fun of a lot because she likened Bitcoin to a pizza. And that you can just keep making uh, smaller slices of the pizza. So people kept making fun of her, saying like, "Well, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that just because you make the pizza slices smaller doesn't mean you're going to feed more people." So she kind of got like trolled a lot. But I wanted to have her on my conversation, uh, my podcast, to have a conversation with her because she's very smart when it comes to traditional market stuff and the history of money in the UK. So I had her on the podcast, and we had a really respectful conversation. And I didn't mention anything about all that stuff. And then, you know, I found like a couple days after our conversation, she started kind of like opening up a bit more about being sympathetic to Bitcoiners, because at least we're fighting for something we believe in. We think that Bitcoin is a fair system for the world. And even though she doesn't agree with us that Bitcoin is the way to to get that fair thing, she respects our opinions and she thinks that we're not just, you know, uh, like wall street people that are just trying to make as much money for themselves as they possibly can so in some little ways yeah i do change people's minds at least like one or two degrees uh towards being a little more friendly towards bitcoin and bitcoiners i don't know if i've had anybody uh have a life-changing revelation on the podcast or anything <laughs> like that <laughs> well do, do you think we'd be able to change jemima's mind about Bitcoin, that the lady that was on stage at the, the conference well, from the Financial Times. She wants to listen. Mm. Sometimes some people don't want to listen mm -hmm. to what is wrong, what they say is wrong. Generally when their salary depends on them not understanding it. And also <laughs> generally when they've already said it and they can't really mm -hmm. switch the past. Yeah. So yeah, I think, that's true. I think we could, but oh, it might be really hard. Yeah, it, well, it would be proof of work if we managed to change her mind. But Brad, you had something to say? Oh, I was just gonna say that it's it's true. A lot of people, once they've spoken an opinion, they feel like that's almost part of their identity. And unless your identity is to be flexible in your opinions, then most people don't really have that awareness that that's a good character to have to be to be flexible in your opinion so 
they feel like, oh, well, I've said this, this is the way I feel, this is the way I think, so I'm not, I'm going to defend it, even if it doesn't make sense, if the, if the facts change. But that's why I respected Francis Coppola, because she, even though she comes across as a no-coiner that doesn't like Bitcoin, she's at least willing to kind of change her opinion and see us as like equals in this fight for financial fairness and, and, and more equity in, in the financial system. And just because she doesn't like Bitcoin doesn't mean that we can't learn from her. So I always find too that it's best for me to try to to try to even though I'm a staunch Bitcoiner and I believe in Bitcoin and I I know that Bitcoin is helping the world and um you know Bitcoin is is a good mission to be on I always try to put myself in the mindset of somebody that hasn't got all that experience so that I can be empathetic towards their position because most people probably like Gemma Jemima or whatever her name is she she does not have the same perspective and knowledge as we have about what Bitcoin really is. So most people get distracted by the making money part of Bitcoin and just thinking, oh, it's a way to get rich. It's just a way to make money. And yeah, you know, I try to remember that when I'm talking to most most of my friends and family and stuff like that. They they think Bitcoin is something that's not really like Bitcoin. Yes, is a way for you to save in the long term and and be uh be 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 more secure long term financially but it's also a system of fairness so it's it takes a lot of conversation a lot of a lot of like ego you got to remove the ego from the conversation to get people to a point where they're willing to 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 study the fact that maybe the policies that we've been doing for trying to help people have actually caused more hurt and more harm. And maybe Bitcoin is a way to help more people in the world in the long term. So think about this. Would you rather have weak opinions that you held on to strongly, like you would never back down? Or would you like to have strong opinions that you held on to weakly, like you'd be willing to listen and perhaps change your mind? Yeah. Right. <laughs> number two like, you need to it's also change that helps too so yeah also um i need to do my uh, my my third question when my dad reached out to you why did you say yes yeah like his podcast is rubbish like why would you because i <laughs> i was like i've never been asked questions by an 11 year old girl before i'll i'll say yes to this podcast <laughs> there you go that's cool and that's then he what, just had to what... come along that's he how he's I the bag. co-host. I knew it's because of me. That's how I bag all my guests, <laughs> yeah. Lauren. Like the cat is out the bag. Like uh, I, I should have put that in a small print, Brad. Please do not reveal the first sentence of each approach is, my daughter Lauren would like to invite you onto our podcast. <laughs> That's how we got Michael Saylor, right? You know. Yeah. <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> Lauren, did you? For me. <laughs> Lauren, have you ever had that situation where you've had to change someone's mind, like a friend or something like that, about Bitcoin? Has, has that happened to you? I mean, I talked to them about it, but we're still like 11 or like 10 year olds. <laughs> so they're like, can we just carry on playing right now? Like, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me with my dad, like, can you just be quiet for like five seconds? <laughs> i'm trying to play roblox over here yeah exactly don't you understand <laughs> uh right did, did you have any further questions uh no all right yeah we've excellent exhausted, we've exhausted all those questions all right perfect
Well, yeah. I tell you what, bring that beer back uh, a little bit more full than it currently is. Okay. And then, uh, then you're the best assistant any podcast has ever had. Oh, it's been the best assistant any podcast ever. Can Wait, you, say... you guys have you guys have a beer cow? Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> you gonna go milk the beer cow? Yes. Of course. Always. It, you know where it is. It's in the door of the fridge. That's where we keep the beer cow. Duh. Okay. It's always there. <laughs> Say goodbye to Brad. Bye. Ooh. Cheers, mate. How, how many kids do you have? One. I have a 12-year-old. All right. And uh, keeps you busy? Lots of questions? Yeah, although now it's she's pretty self-sustaining, so it's... You know, we've we don't really have the uh the, the nighttime routine anymore, which kind of is a little sad. I used to like every night read her stories and stuff, but now she's just I wanna listen to my audiobook. So yeah. we're into that phase. Uh, I still get I still get um pulled by the collar for some piggybacks up to bed every now and then. So nice. you know, still got that going on, which is uh which is nice. But I know what you mean. All of those, you know, like the really uh the, the younger days, the fun times uh the more innocent times i suppose but yeah they they just get so damn into these electronics and, and oh yeah else. it's it's really it's bad crazy like so yeah, that's into it that's a that's a big problem for for me it's it's like one of the things that i feel like oh i'm such a failure at like parenting because i let my kid play with the screen so much Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a big thing I struggle with. So now I've been thinking more about we went home for uh, Cape Breton for the summer on the east coast of Canada. It's we we have this uh I'm from there and uh, we live currently in like Ontario in the middle of Canada. So there's like no ocean around or anything like that, but I'm from the east coast where there's the ocean. So we have a home there now for for the summer and it was great cuz you just go to the beach, you go fishing, it's just kind of chill out in the grass. The internet sucks there, so <laughs> so it's i'm trying to find a way to uh just work more like activities into my into my day-to-day i hear you man um i really do and now when they can fire back with yeah but you're on it all the time it's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i'm not playing games but then again is it, they are socializing that way it's not like they're playing solo games either they're playing games with a bunch of other people um, yeah, and when it's like, yeah, but you got to be careful about meeting strangers on the internet. As we sit here, being strangers that met on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's quite a a conundrum, eh? To, once they start being able to form logical arguments against you, like I never want to say because I said so. Yeah, but it's like, oh, how do I how do I jujitsu move out of this pretzel that she's got me in here? <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. All right, man. Well. People are going to want to know your rabbit hole story. I mean, I'm sure you've told it on many shows and podcasts before, but for for us across this side of the pond, we'd like to get uh, you know a little bit more deeper into who you are and what set you down the journey. What what made you peek into the rabbit hole? So yeah, I've told this probably a bunch of times, but you know, I have like a hundred people that listen to my podcast, so I'm sure I'm sure the there's a wide market for, for people to hear this story out there. Um, I was, I grew up on the East coast of Canada, like I said, in this small sort of, 
island. It's a large island, but there's like 150,000 people live on the whole island and the city, Sydney, is like 25,000 people, something like that. And I grew up like in poverty, moving around the island to different places. I lived in like 20 different homes growing up and and um, government housing. At one point, we were on welfare and I just didn't have any uh, financial intelligence because nobody really around me had much success. It was like growing up in a depression. There wasn't a lot of opportunity on the island because it was a lot of seasonal work that whether it was a steel plant where there was a booming steel industry and then it just disappeared or the fishing industry, which is like completely seasonal work or coal mining, you know, which ended up disappearing. And uh, then call centers came and that's like temp agencies hiring you. So I grew up in like 45% unemployment rate and um, the culture was like great in terms of arts and, and music and, and, creativity because most people that I grew up around anyways, there was, there wasn't a large middle class in, in where I grew up. So most people were like just working enough hours to get on the government check so that then they could like do what they wanted, which was start a side business, learn how to play a new instrument, write a play, paint a new painting. So, so I grew up with like really fun culture and I didn't feel poor. I didn't feel like I was suffering or life was bad or anything. It was just like money was a thing I didn't have. And it was always the number one stress for my parents. So I grew up with that and I didn't get the concept of saving really, except I kind of, I kind of did because my mom was, uh, she was like trying to do like network marketing businesses and stuff. So she was, she was trying to make money um however she could she was hustling my dad so they had divorced when i was young my dad was a door-to-door delivery salesman my grandfather was a milkman so like everybody kind of had hustle and everybody was kind of had entrepreneurial streak but no one really had a lot of success so you know my mom was really bad with money she would always i I always constantly heard the refrain it's going to be a tough month that was like Mm -hmm. every month of my life growing up was it's going to be a tough month (laughs) and occasionally she she also had a gambling problem so occasionally she would win at the casino or something and she'd be like it's a good month kids it's like once a year or something like that but then she would always get herself loaded up with debt around christmas time because she was very selfless person so she would want to give us this really great christmas and special feelings and stuff so she would just load herself to the gills and debt and then after Christmas, you know, we'd have this amazing Christmas. We're like on welfare, you know, living in government housing. We have this crazy Christmas with gifts like going out the wazoo. And then after Christmas, it's just like, it's going to be a tough month, kids. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. I wonder why. So, you know, I, I kind of grew up with this like anti authoritarian streak against banks, against the government, seeing what had happened to my parents, my dad, um, lost his home when they raised the interest rates in Canada, the bank took the home. So it was like our chance. We were kind of like elevating into the middle class a little bit. My dad's business was successful. And then in the nineties, they raised the interest rates. They went up as high as like 18% on mortgages on second mortgages in Canada. And so, um, I had that experience too, where I saw like the bank took our house. And so I kind of grew up with a streak against banks and 
not not really not really thinking it was a fair system, but also being reliant on the government because the government was the social safety net here here in Canada. There's like unemployment insurance and healthcare and stuff like that. So if you're in poverty, those things actually help you. You know, like you you do it does reduce suffering. So I kind of grew up with this perspective of all this different, you know, all these different things where I didn't like banks, I didn't like the government, but I relied on the government to survive. And I kind of saw the value of the social safety net. Grew up with this great culture of people around me that are really funny and artistic and people trying to make money, but it just wasn't working out. So I guess when I, when I, f- f- I ended up like going to college and, trying to learn like for creative stuff. I tried to like get into writing and performing and things like that. But then when I got, when I got out of college, I wanted to make a movie. I'd written this, this feature length comedy horror movie called the legend of the psychotic forest ranger. And it was a send up to cheesy eighties horror movies. Right. So like, you know, Friday the 13th and all those types of movies. So I was like, well, I don't have any experience. Uh, I guess I'm just going to go apply for some money from the government. Cause the Canadian government, just like in the UK and, places like that they they fund a lot of films so i went and applied and wouldn't you know they wouldn't give me any money so i was like pissed off i was like why aren't they giving me money i wrote a screenplay i went to college <laughs> no experience at all making movies but i just was like that's proof they're out to get me this the system sucks fight the man <laughs> so so i was like if i'm gonna make this movie i'm gonna have to like find a way to make some money on the internet myself so i googled how to make money online like that was my business school was getting scammed in 2005 by Ponzi schemes and high yield investment programs and uh, influencer fake blogs where people would be telling you how much money they're making. And unbeknownst to me, they're getting just paid to say all that stuff. So you can send your money to to these companies that just take your money. And it's it's funny because that's exactly like fast forwarding 15 years. That's exactly what happened in the last year and a half in crypto. It was Ponzi scams, high yield investment programs, just using the veneer of technology, saying that it's decentralized finance and a bunch of just charlatans getting paid to promote a bunch of crap. So I really relate with the class of 2021 in 2020, the people that came in with like through Real Vision and BitBoy and all these like influencers on Twitter and stuff, because that's kind of like how I came up. <laughs> I Googled how to make money online. I got scammed a whole bunch, literally fell for Ponzi scams. But it taught me that there was a like a way to actually make money on the Internet through affiliate marketing. So that was my first break was actually seeing that there was like you could advertise for columbia house and get people to join columbia house and get paid so i was like oh shit i can get like get people to sign up for stuff and i'll get paid and i'll make a, make money that way so then i started joining all these forums where people were discussing like uh, affiliate marketing and things like that in 2006 or something and i found this network marketing company that really taught you how like I fell for a bunch of fake like really bad network marketing products where people were like you're gonna make ten thousand dollars a month all you have to do is sell these jelly beans that make you lose 10 pounds <laughs> so Essent- like, essential oh, oils and all of yeah. that yeah yeah Ga- gas pills you, you know you, you turn turn your you make put this in your gas tank and you won't have to use any fuel you know crazy stuff <laughs> I didn't hear and- about that one 
Oh yeah, it was a. It was like you know, fifty percent fuel saving gas pill. You put it in your gas tank. I, I actually managed to convince a local taxi company to use it. <laughs> <laughs> I was so gullible back then. I was like, oh man, this technology's great. <laughs> so I came into space through that, through like you know, entrepreneurship, and then I ended up finding one that was, was focused on education. So mm-hmm. they they like sent you a bunch of books. So I was like reading books like. How to Win Friends and Influence People, right. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, As a Man Thinketh, you know, things like that, which are really about training your mindset. And then they had this, this, this like philosophy around like treating your business like a real job and setting a schedule and like being professional and setting yourself office hours and things like that. So I, I had really gotten into that. And they said, if you do this, you're going to make $10,000 a month. And I was like, well, that's what I need to make this movie. I need I need $50,000 to make this movie. So I'm going to do this for a year and then I'll have $10,000 a month. Well, let's say it takes me six months to get started. I'll have $50,000 and then I'll stop doing it. And I'll make my movie. So I got really into the like the, the self-help stuff or the the business development or whatever. And it did help me. And then, you know, the secret came out along that time. So I was into visualization and journaling and goal setting and vision boards. And I was doing all that stuff. I was like a hundred percent bought into the idea that if I just set my mind to it and focused on it and treated it like a legitimate business or goal or whatever, that I would be able to accomplish it. So I ended up recruiting like 120 people to join this network marketing business. It was like a healthy, uh, a health product that actually was pretty good. Um, it was overpriced, but it was like pretty good product. It wasn't like fake, uh, f- fake pills and stuff like that. It was like a liquid that you drank and had all these minerals and stuff in it. So it was overpriced, but it was like, you know, I, I was following what I was told and I ended up getting to, to what they said in this book. They were like, if you just do this and you get a hundred people, you're going to be making $10,000 a month. So I did it and for like a year. I, I signed up tons of people. I was only making $2,000 a month. So I was like, this is a scam. Like network marketing sucks. Like even if you're successful, you can't succeed. <laughs> so I, I did everything they told me I was going to do. So actually what I realized through that journey was that like affiliate marketing, I was doing the affiliate marketing thing at the same time. And I realized that the real money is in selling leads, selling affiliate marketing products to network marketers and other people on the internet who want traffic. So that 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 brought me to eGold. And eGold was a precursor to Bitcoin, actually. It was one of the one of the early sort of like third party internet uh, payment pr- processors aside from PayPal that were doing like high risk processing. So they would allow like gambling sites and whatever. They were trying to be censorship resistant. So it was uh, you've probably heard of eGold before, but maybe if people haven't, it's it's like PayPal, but with gold. So they would have golden vaults. And then you would get digital gold tokens that were just database tokens. You sign up for an account and then you could pay with gold. So you could just send these gold, digital gold tokens around the internet. This was like 2006 or seven. So I was into that. I was like, yo, man, eagle, this sounds great because I was reading like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I had seen this documentary, America, Freedom to Fascism, that was ta- that was talking about the, 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 like, the history of money and the Federal Reserve and then Congressman Ron Paul was, was made an appearance and on his desk, he had this little placard that said, don't steal the government hates competition. So yeah. when I saw that, that just spoke to me because I was like drawn back to my 
upbringing of like, oh man, the, the freaking system is out there to keep you down and steal from you in the banks are there to like, just prey on you from pray from cradle to grave as like profit meat. So yeah, I like this guy. Who's this Ron Paul guy. So that brought me into Ron Paul, which brought me to Austrian economics and, you know, the, the idea of saving in something like gold versus saving in dollars, which are just going to be continually devalued over time really spoke to me. So it was like, a process of finding e-gold, learning about Ron Paul, Austrian economics and sound money all around that same period of then finally having success with some of these, uh, some of this, this company, this internet company. Cause they started from my basement, a gaming company on Facebook. When they first opened up the API to be able to put apps on Facebook, I was there right, right when it opened. And I had this idea for a game and I convinced a, a friend of mine from the network marketing company who was my upline, this guy was making like $100,000 a month. You know, he was like the successful success story guy in the company. He I was actually like, hey, was, though? He think? was, yeah. He yeah? was actually wow. making like $100,000 a month selling these this product. And he had seen me like climb up the ranks and selling a bunch of the packages and getting people in. And then one day I just left. I actually got fired from my network marketing company. Do you believe that? Like, <laughs> I got fired. <laughs> So it MLM is actually BS. Like it's not, you're not your own boss. You're working mm -hmm. for the network marketing company and they can fire you because they fired me because what, what I did was when I was getting into marketing, I actually accidentally, like I had an email list, two email lists. I had one of just my, my own contacts and people that were like, I would occasionally like sell leads to or buy leads from. And then I had another list that I had scraped from the database of the network marketing company of all the email addresses of like my group. So all the way up to the CEO of the company. And I don't know why I did that. I was, I was, I was just curious. So I had this list and I accidentally copied and pasted the, the list of all the people in the company one day when I was sending out an email to say like, Hey, if anybody wants to buy some leads, I'm going to start generating some traffic. <laughs> so I started shilling my, my services to the CEO and all the other people in the company. And so they fired me for, uh, for cross recruiting or something. I can't remember what they called it. So, <laughs> so I was like, well, this is BS. Uh, so I'm just going to go and do some real entrepreneurship where I am my own boss. And I did that. I convinced this guy that was like my upline in the company to come and kind of join me as an angel investor and just fund the whole thing because I didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. I was like pretty much poor. I, I still didn't have anybody to bankroll me or anything like that. I was making like a little bit of money to pay rent, but I didn't have any money to start a real company. So I convinced this guy to come fund it. And then another guy I found on the Facebook developer forums to build the thing. And we would just do a 33% profit share, three-way three -way split. If it works out, great. It's super easy to bootstrap that. It actually worked. We got a million players to download the game at the, like in the first month. And we we're making something like, I think it was like $100,000 a month right away. And so that was wow. like mind blowing for me that that, that, that that was real. Because I had tried probably, you know, I, this is a long story, but I'm even condensing it because I tried probably a hundred different things before I did this one successful thing. And that was, was really strange for me because I was actually acting like a central banker on this thing because it was a virtual currency game. And so I had built all these tools to measure all this data in the economy because you get a million players earning all these coins all the time. And we're doing promos where sometimes we'll be stimulating the economy of the game with 
UBI checks and stuff like that. <laughs> it was a, like it was actually like I was getting a crash course in economics by having a virtual currency game with 100,000 monthly active users. And, you know, the, the revenue quickly dwindled away after uh, like six months to a year. It started dropping because big companies like Zynga started to get involved. And like uh, we're a three man team, you know, just indie developers building this thing. But it really gave me a lot of experience in how people can value virtual items and virtual a virtual currency because there was nothing else they could do with this game except just spend it in the game just to play more of the game. And it wasn't even like a really good graphics or anything. It was just like a social game. It's like a precursor to Farmville type of game where you just right. earn coins for just doing stuff. Yeah, what, what was what was the game? Like what were people doing? It was so that it was like in Canada we have this contest called Roll Up the Rim to Win. And it's basically every year you just, you know, I'm drinking a Tim Hortons coffee right now. Mm-hmm. So you just roll, you roll up the rim of the cup and you can win donuts and cars and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's, a, you know, culturally relevant, fun thing for Canadians. I'm just going to like put that virtually. I'm going to have a coffee cup game where people just get virtual fake coffee cups and they can win fake money and fake currency and fake donuts. And things like that, so that it's just like a send up to the 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 Canadian contest that happens every year, and people loved it, and uh, <laughs> and it, it was very successful because I think it was nostalgic, it was fun, and it was like it was camaraderie because people would actually like make this part of their daily life, the ritual. They would wake up in the morning, get their fake coffee, roll up the fake rim. And then say hi to people on the message boards and start trading the the fake prizes around. So we then started building tools to be able to let people trade the currency to each other and trade the different set pieces to each other. And then we released more, you know, it became a content treadmill of releasing more sets and stuff like that. And it's actually very reminiscent of the GameFi NFT craze that happened last year and is still going on somewhat now, except... There was no making money component to it. It was all just for fun. And that's the like I, I that's why I can put myself in the mindset of somebody who's trying to create an NFT game and doesn't actually realize that they're scamming people and like causing like more nonsense to be per, you know pushed out into the world and and, and propagating Ponzi logic rather than sound money information like bitcoin because i was i was a young naive entrepreneur who probably would have done an nft game have i had i mm-hmm. had i just googled how to make money online in 2021 and found gary v selling nfts oh. and 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 logan paul and all these people doing nft stuff i i might have been creating my own nft game you know like i can that's why it's like so frustrating cuz I I could see how so many people would get sucked into that rabbit hole and do it in a way that they're not trying to scam people. They don't even realize they're scamming people. It's just that was a really good way to make money. Unfortunately, it was on the backs of all these people that thought they were investing in something because they were being sold this this bad logic. But back in 2007, eight, when it was the Facebook games, it was all just for fun. So it it was still kind of scammy to convince people to buy fake currency. And like, I still didn't understand why they were doing it. But then people ended up 
you know, getting married on the message boards, like people would meet and then they get in real life, they would meet and they'd get tattoos of this thing on themselves, the logo of the game and stuff. It, it developed this, this mind of its own. And I hyperinflated the currency one time. Somebody hacked the currency one time and printed a trillion coins. Um, I, I really did learn the lessons of centralization, decentralization, because e-gold got shut down by the feds. So I had lost the gold I had left in e-gold because the feds shut it down. And I was like, oh, that, that's a that's a problem. You can't have a centralized company running this digital currency payment system. And then I was just shocked by all the people that were buying the virtual currency from me. So it was in 2011, um, a few years after my game company experience and going again through like Occupy Wall Street and watching Peter Schiff videos and just being so angry about the the financial, the 2008, the bailouts and everything and trying to protect myself from another stock crash because I had some money. At this point, I had built a house. I spent most of my money on building my house and buying a car and I started a family. So I didn't have a lot of savings left because the, the, the income from the game was dwindling. But what I had left, I was like, I don't want to keep this in dollars because look at they're printing crazy amounts of money. This is going to devalue my my savings. And I don't care about the stock market. Like the stock market seems like a big giant Ponzi scam. It's just mm -hmm. stock buybacks and bailouts like that. That doesn't seem valuable. The stock market's way overvalued. I don't want to be in that. And, you know, I was like subscribing to these doom porn newsletters where they're like the world is ending these are the three stocks you need uranium chickens and ammo chickens yeah. chicken feed stocks and uh, ammo companies i was like i don't uh, this is not my thing like i just want to save i just want i just want to protect my wealth so i got into like gold and, and, and like trying to buy some gold because everybody was saying gold was going to moon and silver was on the run it went from like 20 dollars to like 50 dollars in six months or so uh, so i, I remember I, I it very well I FOMO bought the top of silver. I was like, oh, <laughs> this thing's going to 200. I, I got to get some silver. <laughs> I was one of those people. I remember that. I remember it but very, very well. Thankfully, that was the time when I heard about Bitcoin because this guy was a, a gold influencer on YouTube. And he had, he had made a video for Canadians on how to import gold and silver. Like, where's the best place to buy it and things like that. So, and then he said at the end of the video, by the way, there's this digital gold called Bitcoin and I'm going to guarantee my subscribers that it won't go below a dollar. And if you buy Bitcoin, I'm just super fan of this thing. I think it's the future. I'll guarantee your purchase that it won't go below a dollar. And it was $5 at the time. So, so this guy was just super excited about Bitcoin and it was infectious. So I was like, oh, wow, Bitcoin, actually that's uh that's pretty that's pretty impressive it's it's like e-gold but it's decentralized so the feds can't shut it down it's like my facebook game virtual currency except it's real value it's something that you can use for other things instead of just you know entertainment on on facebook and clearly people can digital value or value digital currency because look at look at the whole facebook boom it, it clearly showed that there was demand out there people value digital stuff and you know it was just like perfect ron paul money like austrian economic style money so when i when i saw it i was like okay well i don't know if bitcoin's gonna win but i'm gonna go a third a third a third into 
gold, silver, and Bitcoin. So that was kind of like my initial thing. And I was like, this thing is going to probably go to a thousand dollars one day. So I don't, I don't want to go ham on this. I started mining it and I, I got really, in, I went down the rabbit hole back then, 2011. It was like Max Kaiser. I, I think uh, Roger Ver was very popular. Trace Mayer. Those are the kind of folks that I was listening to. I was on the forums all the time. And, um, yeah, we got into just like mining in the in the basement. Also, mined some Namecoin because Namecoin was out at the time, and and you could like mine Namecoin and trade that for Bitcoin to get more Bitcoin than if you just mine Bitcoin. So I I got into doing that, and then the price went to ten bucks, so it doubled in a matter of a month. And I was like, shit, I missed it. <laughs> I'm, I, it's it's too late. Like uh, it just went up like from a dollar to like five. And by the time I got some Bitcoin, it was 10. So I was like, oh man, like, do I really want to buy Bitcoin at 10? All right. It could, it could go to a thousand dollars. So I did buy, I did buy Bitcoin then and mined it then, but then it went to 30 that summer. And it was just, it was one of those parabolic euphoric, uh, Bitcoin runs. So I sold half my Bitcoin at 30 thinking that I'm smart. I'm a smart investor. Now I'm a, I'm a seasoned investor. I'm I'm uh, diversifying. <laughs> I'm I'm taking profits. So that was the that was the, that was one of the big the big uh, lessons I learned was, you know, trying to be an investor, or trying to be a trader mm -hmm. when you're just trying to save. Like I was just trying to save in Bitcoin, but then people were saying like nobody goes broke taking profits and things like that. <laughs> so so I sold half my Bitcoin at thirty. And then and then it crashed to two over the next couple of months. And I had written a book on Bitcoin. I'd started two businesses based on Bitcoin where you could earn Bitcoin for doing micro jobs and you could earn Bitcoin for doing affiliate marketing. Like I got back into the affiliate marketing game and it was like paying people out in Bitcoin for doing like signing up for Columbia House and all this stuff. So I was like, this is awesome. Like people are going to be able to earn Bitcoin for doing all kinds of things. Bitcoin's great. And then it crashed to two. And I was left holding the bag because I was pricing everything in dollars. So I was like, oh, shit. Uh, I owe now a lot more Bitcoin than I thought I owed. <laughs> so so now I have to go like sell some more of my or give more of my Bitcoin away to people. So I was like, this is too volatile. This is like it's too early. I'm pretty sure one day this thing will be worth a thousand, but like I can't focus on this. So I, I got back into like gaming and I, I scaled up my gaming company over the next couple of years and started doing a Bitcoin mining company and stuff again. But that was my early days of Bitcoin. And uh, I just had the perfect, I guess, previous experience mindset to be able to get into it and stay into it. Where most of the friends that I know that got into it when it cratered like that, they just gave up on it or they sold it all or they lost it all. I mean, there's a lot of friends of mine from the early days that they they completely sold out either that time or like when Mt. Gox got hacked or like when, when it hit a thousand bucks in 2013, 14, they were, they were just like, this is dead. Like this sucks. Like Silk Road's getting shut down. Mt. Gox is dead. And the people that survived that then in 2016, 17, when we finally got through that trough of depression and finally we're back to the old all-time high 
and people that have been sitting in pain for two years are finally back in the in the black. They're like, I'm out. Like I I I thought that I was rich or I had made a smart decision back in 2013, 14, but then I had to sit through this pain. Now that we're back, I'm done. Like the the ETF was rejected, the SEC rejected the ETF. I can't believe I'm at back to my old all time high. I'm selling. So so many people just kind of missed the massive uh, accrual of value that happened since 2017 because you know for 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 obvious reasons the fork caused a lot of people to to feel like unsure about bitcoin um so so like this year this cycle anyways to me being through every cycle like feeling pretty much every cycle and the psychology of every cycle that has happened it feels completely different in one way but then like negatively <laughs> But then also positively, because we didn't have in any previous cycle, we didn't have as much conviction, I think, as many people convicted that Bitcoin is going to become a global reserve asset. We didn't have like uh, nearly like half the content creators and thinkers that, that really do value Bitcoin and see where it's going. We had a lot of people that believe that but then you'd have like really influential folks like roger ver out there saying like bitcoin is dead the core developers killed it you know brian from uh, armstrong from coinbase out there fighting bitcoin saying like the, the core developers are killing bitcoin i'm going to ethereum it would be like the equivalent of michael saylor giving up on bitcoin and going to like solana or something like that now saying like oh well solana's solana's got a a good a good development fund over there and the developers are work faster and the, the blockchain is faster so i'm going to go over there that would be like the equivalent now but so we have really really good educators and really good kind of people to look up to in terms of conviction for the new folks that came in they can kind of outsource their conviction a little easier this cycle but the people that came in this cycle have never like the I feel like this is the worst thing to hold through almost like it, it does feel worse than 2011, worse than 2013, worse than 2017. We've never had China ban Bitcoin. We've never had like the biggest Wall Street funds and Silicon Valley funds actively fudding Bitcoin and promoting a shitcoin. So and we've never had like this financial pro this financial line system of events right now where where like really the shit could hit the fan all, all this so, level of paper bitcoin right all the derivatives right. and all the rehypothecation all the loaning lending companies all this DeFi dap bullshit it's tough there's so much noise out there yeah it is it, it it's it's like because somebody was asking me last maybe six months ago or something when we first hit it was in June, I think, when when Celsius got liquidated and mm -hmm. Three Hours Capital got liquidated. We we wicked down to seventeen five. Somebody was asking me like, "Does this compare to previous cycles? Do you think?" And and it it to me it felt like it felt like uh, yeah, it it compares completely. It, it's it's as bad <laughs> yeah. in terms of like emotions and like fundamental. Uh, problems with like the market, you know, the structure of the market where, where there's a lot of negative news events and negative things out there. But again, in terms of like the ability to have your 
conviction outsourced, it is also the best time. To That's be in key, right? You know, it probably took, you know, what took in the past, what took six years of conviction might take six months now. Just yeah. because by virtue of all of the books, all of the articles, all of the podcasts, all of the YouTube channels, if you find the right ones, right? If like, you know, to your point, if you fall into these freaking influencers, then you are going to end up. And, and the easiest way to spot those guys is when they talk about Bitcoin for the whole show. And then at the end, they talk about something else and how this is Bitcoin number two. Like, <laughs> right, what's the worst yeah. you've seen? Because obviously you come from that MLM scene. MLM is multi-level marketing, for those that don't know, an affiliate network. Uh, but you, we've got YouTubers out there that have got huge followings, which have probably bought their audience in the first place, or been funded to buy their audience by some kind of shitcoin casino or something, because mm -hmm. they the, the shitcoin casinos can figure out those guys that are willing to sell their soul to the devil and uh, behave with zero integrity and start shilling any of this stuff that they can pay them to. I mean, the, the, the most telling tweet I think of this year, 2022, was when that influencers list was released. Right. And all of those names, and you could tell how much they were going to get paid for either a retweet or a direct shill. And yeah. there's hundreds of thousands of uh -oh. dollars. Yeah, I mean, it's millions of dollars. They they're get, like the the top one was getting paid fifty thousand dollars every time they they shilled a coin, and I mean there was thousands of coins launched this cycle and people were just eating it up. So I I think like the worst the 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 worst offender is Real Vision and Andreessen Horowitz. Mm -hmm. I feel like they are they are the worst because they're the most impactful and they have the most reach, like. BitBoy is horrible for sure. Like what BitBoy did and does and like people like that that are just amassing hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter. It's it's not as effective at convincing smart people to go buy Hex or Ripple mm -hmm. as as Real Vision is at convincing smart people to go believe that like DeFi coins are the future and they're, you know, Luna is risk-free and the the future is web three and, and like Ethereum is going to flip Bitcoin. Like, like that sort of logic is the worst because it's harder to combat. It's so, it's very easy to, uh, I guess it's very easy to just have a million, a million like left curvers following some crypto influencer realize that they got scammed after the coin drops 99 percent mm -hmm. you know like that they'll they'll either eventually come to that conclusion on their own because the market's going to get like ruin that the 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 stupid coin but when you have somebody that has like like ral paul from real vision that has a massive influence in 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 like the high net worth individual community and in, in other analysts and wall street and you know other other folks that that are macro thinkers believing what he's saying because they don't know anything about cryptocurrency really they don't know Nothing. about bitcoin they're just they're just like oh well i guess raul paul really believes this he's having all these experts on his show so you know yeah i guess it's the future and i don't want to miss it so you get you get way more 
propagation of this bad logic when it's somebody that's respected like Mike Novogratz or Ralph Paul or Andreessen Horowitz or Tim Ferriss or Kevin Rose, like all these people that influence other investors and other entrepreneurs and other thinkers because they looked up to, they're, they're respected for something else. They're not just like, they're not just famous because they're showing shit coins. They're famous because they have experience in some other field and they're, they're respected and looked up to. So that I think is the more insidious problem that we're dealing with this cycle. And that's probably part of me thinks it's like, it's, it's too strong of a, of a network effect to be defeated so that like, maybe maybe it doesn't go away and unfortunately it doesn't these people they've invested so much of their their reputation and their brand and their own money into this stuff succeeding that they'll never stop shilling it so you know like mike novogratz's pomp actually just kind of did this too recently he started a company with i forget who was will clemente or somebody like that no, yes. Will Clemente. Um, but they did. They those two guys have. Yeah, Will Clemente. But that was now, a different. Yeah. That wasn't. That was an analytics company. The one I'm yep. thinking of is like a is a company that educates RIAs. So they they educate registered investment advisors about mm -hmm. cryptocurrency. So they're going to be basically going out there to the source of investment information, which is the the nodes of propagation of investment information are the RIAs and the super high net worth fund managers. And they're going to be learning from people like Mike Novogratz, who tattooed Lunacoin on his arm, saying yep. that it was the best investment he's ever made. And Pomp, who's out there publicly now saying it's like they're going to educate people on Bitcoin and the digital asset ecosystem. So it's like this is another network effect for shitcoins that unfortunately means we're going to have to keep dealing with all this crap over the next like cycle most likely now the the thing that thankfully what happened was everything cratered <laughs> because if it hadn't happened like that it would have been way worse like it could have been, it could have been way worse than it was it was really bad but eth could have flipped bitcoin like there was enough momentum there from those the, that cohort of people that eth could have pumped to ten thousand dollars and flipped bitcoin in market cap and it, it was like very close it was like at 50 percent away but you know, if the bubble had kept going, if they hadn't have started to crush the economy and put all those sanctions on Russia and everything, it probably it could have been way worse. So thankfully, we have a reprieve and we have time to uh, convert more of those shit corners that got scammed and sucked into the crypto funnel in 2021 and 2022 into Bitcoiners, because now they're like they lost all their money in Celsius or Luna or whatever. And they're starting to question all the things that those people told them that brought them in and realize that maybe they've been taken advantage of. Maybe they're learning bad information. So now it's more of like a, not just a matter of converting the 99 percent that haven't even gotten into Bitcoin at all. The next billion people to come into Bitcoin, but educating the tens of millions of people that got sucked into crypto through NFTs, GameFi and DeFi and all this shitcoin stuff. It's so fucking annoying. It's impossible to to deal with um i was called i was called a a mono chainer the other day this is a, <laughs> a mono chainer that's uh, new <laughs> but yeah but by, by a friend a good mate uh who's still convinced there's 
a big wide world out there and we need all of the innovation we can. And he's a big Gary Fee fan. Uh, and I'm like, man, that guy is, look, th there was a place for him. You know, the, what hurt my butt the most, I suppose, was Real Vision. Be watching that decline was really tough. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm friends with Grant Williams, who was one of the co-founders. Uh, and luckily he he stepped aside he's distanced himself from it. oh yeah that's that so what happened there because grant grant took a step back when yeah. when ral paul started shilling ethereum and remy started like yep. getting into luna mm -hmm. grant disconnected well, gr almost completely. yeah uh, grant grant's grant's a gold guy so there, there was no way he was going to get caught up in shilling any of this kind of stuff and he'd done interviews about Bitcoin with with um, with with Tur and Trace and Winces and and they'd run a whole series on it. That's what brought me in. I remember oh, watching okay, those in cool. 2015 because because nice. I was friends with Grant. I, I'd signed up. I was like one of the first month subscribers. You know, like I'm gonna sign up to my oh, buddy's nice. thing. Uh, and like the the content was incredible. You know, mm, I worked in financial markets, and all we all we had was Squawkbox or CNN or you know, <laughs> fucking Kramer and all of these idiots that shill you yeah. stuff for an hour, for a minute and a half, and then all of a sudden, Real Vision drops, and you've got an hour and a half long interview with some of these hedge fund managers that I knew who they were, but never had access to. I'm like this is freaking unbelievable, like the, the stuff that they were talking about. But then to watch that slowly roll over into what it become and i don't know why i never checked this you probably looked i was you probably saw i was trying to find something on the internet i never looked up who the backer of real vision is and i've just found it it took me five seconds i don't know why i didn't freaking look at that so they got 50 million dollars worth of funding in june of this year and they've only got one investor and it's by a uh, company called uh, sciencemagicstudios.com now, if I go to sciencemagicstudios.com, a digital asset venture studio, we advise and implement the creation of digital assets, e.g. NFTs and social tokens and Web3 economies for brands, talent, and their communities. The new cultural economy, harnessing the power of community. 50 mil they threw at Real Vision. So if you Crazy. have any fucking, any doubt at all, whether real vision is shilling you shit coins i just put a nail in that coffin lid they are shilling you shit coins they're despicable unsubscribe get your money back email raul and tell him to go fuck himself because this is what they're doing i love it it's over it's disgusting no it's it's the worst and and raul was public about that back in february or so uh, he he said i've got this plan that i'm going to do a metaverse for real vision plus a token plus an investment arm it's going to be the future we're getting we're going all in on web3 and he was basically saying like i'm going to launch a shitcoin and i'm going to i get paid to shill crap so i mean like people rightly took him to the cleaners um after luna collapsed because that was like finally redemption yep. you know like we were right like he's not worth listening to but it takes a while to burn your reputation from from like the rest of the folks that that maybe are like you know bitcoiners you lose your reputation in an instant 
but with everybody else that's just kind of there for the investment advice, it takes a while. Like, oh yeah, he made a bad call. That's what they think. But then, you know, a He's bad call after bad call after you. bad call. Th that's it, it all is, it is. <laughs> yeah. So I can't, everybody that's into Bitcoin is pretty much written off Ralph Paul. Um, but it does surprise me that people hold the reputation in crypto and like even Roger Ver, like still has not lost his reputation um, for most crypto investors. Actually, he's looked at as like a successful crypto investor because he was in the, the pre-mine for 50 shit coins that ended up making him probably a couple hundred million dollars this cycle. So he's like respected. And uh, it's just it's just nonsense, man. It's just it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating to see all this all this Ponzi logic get propagated out there. And it comes from the top because the more I learn about the financial industry and have conversations with people like uh, Joseph Wang and 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 like uh, well, he wrote Central Banking 101 and uh, Francis Coppola, who wrote uh, People's Case for Quantitative Easing and and really dig in and have debates with like Bitcoin Tina and people like that about the financial system the more i realize that it 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 literally is a ponzi and and it's designed it's ponzi nomics by design and yet the entire financial industry is just turns a blind eye to that so it doesn't it doesn't surprise me as as i i see all these wall street folks and macro thinkers start to come into thinking about bitcoin and then find their way into defi because those guys are just rebuilding everything that's wrong with the traditional system in Wall Street on blockchains and allowing them to just redo the crazy gains they got from this crazy, risky, derivative, synthetic stuff that they did in the financial system on databases, but just do it on blockchains. And they've made billions of dollars doing it. And like uh, it's still going on. Like just the other day, Uniswap raised $130 million or something from a big round of investors. And, you know, like the the Wall Street elite are actually getting tied even tighter at the hip to the crypto elite because you got like Paradigm, which is run by Fred Ersham, the co-founder of Coinbase, investing in Citadel Securities and FTX, which is, you know, the biggest crypto exchange and one of the biggest crypto exchanges globally and the creators of Solana investing in citadel securities and then citadel securities you know linking up with crypto and they're the market maker for wall street and for for like they're the guys that front run the retail traders on robin hood mm -hmm. and have made tons of money by unethically farming profits from retail traders in the traditional financial system well now they're just like because the sec is clamping down on that they're just going to go into crypto so now they like Robin Hood is getting linked up with crypto shitcoin stuff. And there it's just this big incestuous pool of people trying to make as much money as possible and grift as much money from everybody as they possibly can. And unfortunately they're succeeding, but fortunately we've got this crazy bear market, which is exposing all the Ponzi scams and blowing up a bunch of them. But FTX still has a ton of money. Like these guys made billions of dollars. So their treasuries are still pretty full. So it's going to be like either the only thing I think that can really take us back to pre 2020 
is a real long bear market of two more years of sideways price action in Bitcoin and just continual decline in price action of ETH and DeFi shitcoins. Um, so I actually am hoping for a long bear market in Bitcoin, even though it's going to suck to sit through another two years of this. It's the best case scenario for us because then we'll get back to a point of logic where we were in 2019, 2020, where most of the network participants or the, the market participants realized that, yeah, utility coins are garbage. ICO logic was stupid. Masternode coins, which promised you yield, were just shit coins that were just continually adding supply sell pressure to the market. But then they managed to reinvigorate the whole thing in 2020 because of the people we talked about, Real Vision, Raul Paul, mm -hmm. Novogratz, all these Silicon Valley celebrity investors. Friggin' Elon Musk actually yep. opened up this massive door for every celebrity influencer to promote their own shitcoins because the SEC had taken action against unregistered broker-dealers in the last cycle. But then when the richest man in the world comes out and starts shilling shitcoins, it just opens the door for everybody to make money. So it was the worst freaking scenario we could have had this last bubble. Like it, it just from the top down enabled total degenerate nonsense. And we can get back to a point where the, the market sort of learns lessons and we get back to logic, but it is going to take two years of sideways negative price action on Bitcoin. And because what that's going to do is it's going to keep draining the treasuries of A16Z and, and, and Alameda and all these crypto funds that, that have made billions, but are now propping up the markets. I mean, they're, they've been bailing out all of these hacks. They're up to probably a couple billion dollars of treasury depletion from rescuing all these hacks. And they're burning tons of money right now, market making these coins. And like this stupid Apros coin that just launched on FTX and Coinbase, it's basically, it's, it's, it's a Ponzi scam. It's, it's, I don't often say that a cryptocurrency is a Ponzi. I, I, I will say shitcoin or bad investment or whatever, but like there's a lot of actual Ponzi scams, like the dictionary definition of a Ponzi scam, where it promises you a percentage return and the new investors have to pay out the old investors their shares. Otherwise, the thing falls apart. There's so many cryptocurrency DeFi token schemes that have been designed around Ponzi-nomics and they got that from the bond markets and from from the from the macro thinkers and the economists that design the Ponzi scheme that we all live under, which is the the bond markets. When you continually issue trillions of dollars of debt, and there's not new buyers to soak up that debt, your central bank has to keep buying that debt. Then when that when that debt matures, who's there to buy the maturing debt? Like there's nine trillion dollars of maturing treasuries coming up in the next two years, the U.S. debt's $31 trillion. I think $14 trillion of the U.S. debt now is owned by government-sponsored enterprises like Social Security, the, the Federal Reserve, the, you know, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, like like GSEs and, and the Fed. So that share is growing higher and higher. And it's the same thing that's happening in the crypto world. Like the, the crypto funds and the venture capitalists are continually owning more and more of this stuff because there's less people to come in and buy it up. So the the the, the government sponsored enterprises and the Federal Reserve, the central banks are propping up the bond Ponzi because it's ever expanding debt, but they have to pay back the bondholders, the principal when it matures. But with 9 trillion maturing, 
and they're continuing to issue more, who are going to be the new buyers? It's going to end up being the central bank. Like the Federal Reserve is going to have to end up. It has five trillion of this maturing debt. The Federal Reserve owns that. When that matures, the Treasury is supposed to pay it. But the Treasury doesn't have any money. <laughs> so the Treasury has to issue more debt to pay the debt that it owes to the Federal Reserve. And it's illegal for the Federal Reserve to buy directly from the Treasury. Otherwise, it would be very obvious that it's a Ponzi scheme. So they have to do QE and go tell all the banks to go buy the debt and they'll buy it from them. It's just this big, it's just, it's just this big incestuous Ponzi scam that's just got all these theatrics around it to make it look like it's a free market. But the Federal Reserve is going to end up having to buy all the new debt or most of the new debt that the Treasury issues. And that makes it more aware and in your face that we are living in a Ponzi scheme. And people are starting to recognize that that is not healthy and it's not sustainable and it's not really a free market. And they've recreated that in crypto. So the best thing that can happen is long bear market, continual chaos in this bond market and the Federal Reserve just continuing to try to wreck risk assets because <laughs> the mo the people that are benefiting the most are real visions investors and <laughs> and a16z did you not just uh describe perfectly uh proof of stake right there <laughs> yeah i suppose yeah it's a good analogy proof of stake that and that's what they're freaking shilling it as right that, that that that's what amazes me the most that people are buying this idea of proof of stake and at the same time, we know, like, for anybody that is listening that doesn't know this, uh, it, it is, it's either been confirmed or it's highly obvious that Ripple, the, the shitcoin of choice these days, paid $5 million to Greenpeace to make sure that they kept fudding the shit out of Bitcoin mining and the, the proof of work system so that they could carry on their idea of uh, you know that they're centralized blockchains so they could just keep this ponzi scheme going as long as they possibly can and they're very aligned with the banks so the banks have um this uh, incentive to to follow this narrative and just keep fudding on bitcoin yeah and it's not just ripple it's the ethereum foundation has the, the ethereum foundation teamed up with the world economic forum and ripple and mm -hmm. other blockchain foundations to FUD Bitcoin, to FUD proof of work. And the the biggest investors and fund managers, like FTX, like SBF from FTX and Alameda, he was FUDing Bitcoin, saying, you know, it's not going to work as a payment system and it's not green, you know, things like that. The, the same thing with Vitalik and, and all these big fund managers, like blockchain capital and stuff. I've seen so many of these guys just bow down to pandering to the ESG crowd. Either they believe it or they are just trying to do a long-term game theory attack on Bitcoin. And either way, it's it's lazy and ridiculous that, the, that, they, that they push this bunk logic about Bitcoin mining. But it is a war. It's a war for the future of money. And a lot of people don't look that deeply at it, right? They're just looking at this as a trade or an investment. So, you know, many of us that really are passionately involved in Bitcoin as like financial activists, 
uh, and and educators like we really believe that this is a mission to fix money and to help billions of people that suffer under financial oppression we look a lot deeper at this and kind of take offense to it because it is a war it is an attack on bitcoin which is an attack on solving wealth inequality in the world and these people are just for the most part rec like resigned to the idea that, that that they either they just haven't reconciled in their minds or not but they have just resigned to we're making money we're getting rich you know we're working for our lps whatever the thing is to not look deeper at what they're doing which is actually hurting people in 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 the, in the end because they're ushering in if they succeed they're going to usher in a, in in a currency that's going to be able to be controlled and surveilled by the banks and wall street who've already destroyed web 2.0 so why does that make sense like take the people that have turned web 2.0 into this surveillance panopticon throw on a wall street casino slot machine button and then call it web 3 and say this is it we're like we're disintermediating the greedy corporations this is web 3 you know, we yeah, sure we've pre-mined it all and we've already cashed out, but like it's yours. Go ahead. It's it's very aggravating. <laughs> did you just call your <clears throat> did you just call yourself and um probably reference uh, myself as well as an educator, Brad, rather than a promoter <laughs> or influencer, which I've been accused of being since uh, being at the uh, the Bitcoin Amsterdam conference. I was um... <laughs> a, pr a promoter. Yeah, I, I was hosting the um, moderating, excuse me, the um, the media problem panel. So we had mm -hmm. Joe Hall from Cointelegraph, Pete Rizzo from Bitcoin Magazine, and uh, Jemima from the FT, and okay. uh, Isabella, previously of the FT, and now launching her own um, jour uh, journalist, uh, kind of a, a entrepreneurial, truth-seeking journalism business and i hope oh, that she goes, really i hope that goes well isabella i really do uh so this panel uh got feisty pretty quick and it's if nobody's watched it go go ahead and, and just search for that on youtube you'll find it no problem and one market commentator afterwards called me out with a picture uh, uh as a bitcoin promoter and this is what people honestly think that we're doing because they come from the mindset of crypto pros and they've seen all the shilling and the influencing and whatever else they have that they, they just put us into this same bucket of oh you're promoting and you're influencing so people buy bitcoin now and prop the price up for you because you bought it before them that's it's so infuriating and I've, I've said this for a long time bitcoin has educators shitcoins have influencers and there's a huge difference yeah i mean i mean like that that's like pretty lazy that just shows that that person is biased against bitcoin and they're just using biased terms so a promoter is actually somebody that the sec recognizes as someone who should be licensed who's got to do proper disclosures to to promote or talk about or you know like recommend securities but bitcoin is not a security so if this person's in the financial world and they're using the word promoter like they're they're basically trying to say that bitcoin is just like a security which is pretty stupid for them to be still holding on to that idea this far into the game um 
But, you know, honestly, don't take too much offense. If someone calls me a Bitcoin promoter, I'll be like, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I'm promoting <laughs> Bitcoin. Yes, I'm promoting financial inclusion. I'm an evangelist for Bitcoin. The CEO is my best friend. We uh, we barbecue on Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk about some of the projects you've been getting yourself involved in, because I've seen a, a shift recently in your in what you're tweeting about and you, you you seem to be very much involved with trying to fund or whether that's with um money or whether that's with your time whether that's with your your, your platform or just your energy to to help entrepreneurs in the space gain some kind of footholding so could you tell us a little bit about why you've chosen to do that and the, the projects that you're looking at and you know what what you see for the future yeah so i i i kind of did try to make a conscious effort to tweet less about why ethereum is evil and a surveillance system for the state and more about cool projects that are going on in bitcoin and uh I, I just I'm trying to shift my awareness and my focus towards that a little bit more because it's very unhealthy to to be constantly watching DeFi and and watching Ethereum. Even though like I can very like confidently defend my position of why I think Ethereum is bad for the world to anybody now. Well, it's I mean, proof, it, proof of state. I like to call it Ethereum. proof of state. Yeah, I saw you tweeted that the other day. That's a good one. It is eventually going to trend towards that. It is going to eventually be captured by the state. And it's already captured by insiders and VCs. And, you know, the pre-mine folks have a massive influence over it because they own MetaMask, which is where 99% of the EVM transactions happen. So, you know, JP Morgan and Deutsche Bank, not Deutsche Bank, um, uh, I forget the other bank, but there's a bunch of banks. There's like three big banks that have already invested in coin uh, consensus. So they own MetaMask too. So it is very influenced already by the banks. Like when I say that Silicon Valley and the Wall Street banks have already kind of like captured Web3, it's not a joke or an exaggeration. It's literally who's funding all this stuff. And look what they did to Web2. They've kind of turned it into something that is very close to falling off a cliff of Chinese style social credit and surveillance and we don't want that right like we don't we don't want to end up being in a system that can be weaponized against us and i like to i like to focus a little bit more on what can be done to combat this because it is there is something to be said about the, the Lindy effect that, that Ethereum and all these Web3 guys have got with convincing so many people that it's worth doing DAOs and launching your own community NFT and it's worth building financial applications on DeFi. Like they've got thousands of developers now building on it. And, and uh, many people are influenced to go over and build on Ethereum or on Solana or whatever because of the respectable like VC people that they've already been influenced by going and putting money towards that. So one of the things that they're really good at is FOMO, like creating FOMO, 
Mm-hmm. They're very good at making it seem like this is this is the th- thing, the thing to do, and this is where you should put your money and your time and pay attention to. So, you know, in my own little way, whatever that impact can end up being, that's what I've decided. Well, listen, about a year ago, I kind of realized, okay, I got to start trying to create more of this FOMO in Bitcoin stuff. And whether that's like buying up uh, equity in startups that are raising money to create a feeling of like, oh shit, I want to get in that too. Or or whether it's just promoting little projects that someone someone's building an open source tool for uh, for a lightning network liquidity management or whatever, or somebody's building a game on the liquid network. Um, I just feel like I should at least be putting half of my energy towards <laughs> towards positive stuff. So, and Michael Saylor, I think, said it a couple of times. He's tweeted um, something. I can't remember, recall it now, but I remember I, I, I seen I seen him tweeted a couple of times. It was like something about remaining. We we should be remaining positive and constructive, or something like that. Constructive and something i don't know it's it's some sort of phrasing here do you do you know what he said i no i, I don't know it uh let's google it cuz that's that's a good phrase cuz he is very measured in the way that he uh responds and the and the things that he says um he, he gets asked like questions about shiba coin and defi and ethereum <laughs> and stuff and he's you can see him take the like <sighs> Like he takes that little breath, he lets his frustration go, and then he gives an answer that's kind of like, you know, you can tell he's annoyed by the question, but he's not saying like going off on a rant about why this thing is a shit coin uh, and it's not worth your time. He he used to say like a shark duck that lives in trees when he was talking about Ethereum, but but then he's kind of like changed it to they're competing with venture capital you know they're not our enemy and then he focuses on bitcoin Mm -hmm. so i took that oh it's cheerful and constructive but you know we should remain cheerful and constructive um and then a bunch of times he said similar things like that and i had a i had a call with eric weiss who's the guy that orange pilled sailor yep and i talked to him about like you know like were you part of that like did you did you how did you manage to convince sailor to like go from shark duck that lives in trees to like just they're taking on venture capital and wall street we're we're doing something else <clears throat> and uh he said yeah that's like his influence he's he, he he's trying to like sh- uh, i guess his thought is we've got uh like a massive a massive opportunity to reach people that don't yet know about bitcoin and there's tens of trillions of dollars of capital that will can flow into Bitcoin if we just focus more of our energy on educating those people. So why make enemies? Why fight amongst the $300 billion crypto industry? So like it's when you look at the size of the crypto industry and the size of the bond markets and the gold markets and Wall Street, you know, stock markets, it just doesn't make sense to focus so much of our energy and time arguing with them and exposing them and making enemies. And even if they are doing Ponzi scams and ripping people off and you know, that, that worked for a while, but then when, when Luna collapsed and Celsius collapsed, I saw sailor get a little bit frustrated and pissed off again that these, cause then it's like, 
we can be cheerful and constructive, but now all these people are looking at the collapse of these crypto Ponzi schemes and saying, Bitcoin did this. So yep. then it's like, okay, you're attacking me now. The gloves are coming off. So it, it is tough to stay focused on being cheerful and constructive and positive because there is still a lot of nonsense going on in the crypto industry. <clears throat> but, you know, me and you were on the grants, the Geyser Grants board, yep. and we discuss sometimes about like the different people applying for the grants. Um, we see people from all over the world doing amazing small projects locally. And that inspires me to want to highlight that stuff a little more and spend a little bit less time being angry and frustrated about like what these crypto guys are doing because look at how much energy and positivity is being created right now by so these much. small I, groups of people. I was blown away by that Geyser Grants thing, that that first round. Uh, and for those that don't know Geyser, go follow them, G-E-Y-S-E-R. Uh, it's the equivalent of GoFundMe, Kickstarter, whatever, but just you know, built on Lightning for plebs to support pleb projects. And I think they just tweeted... 900 plebs now have supported the different projects that have been listed up there. And they range from anything with, uh, you know, from Run With Bitcoin with Paco to the Bitcoin Racing Initiative, film documentaries. Um, Anita Posh, she, she's in there with, with her initiative. It's great stuff and it's grassroots stuff. Mm -hmm. And just sending over a couple of hundred bucks worth of sats makes a huge difference. Like a huge difference, not just with morale for some of these guys that are trying to start these projects, but that might just keep them going for an extra week. Yeah. Because the VC money is not coming <clears throat> their way. Yeah. It's the plebs that are going to stand shoulder to shoulder with these guys and, and help them get across the line. That's why I, I, I love that initiative. And how many did we go through like 60 65 applicants oh more than that there was like nearly 100 applicants at the beginning Whoa. it was it was tough like you know that, that was that was work going through all of those projects yeah and, and trying to <laughs> you know i want them all to succeed i'm like tier one everybody like <laughs> yeah i you know like i have the problem like most people have of being a little bit maybe add and serial entrepreneur you know like i have lots of ideas lots of things i want to do lots of things i pay attention to and then i kind of like falls out of my mind and i don't really go back to it but something that i'm passionate about that i am am, am sticking with because i will always come back to it is Investing in entrepreneurs trying to educate and push forward Bitcoin in terms of culture, uh, technical work, whether they're CTO of a Lightning Network startup or somebody who's just uh, coming in to make a book or write, like paint or, or make a rap song or whatever. Anybody that's pushing forward Bitcoin culture, but specifically entrepreneurs that are trying to build Bitcoin businesses. It doesn't have to be a tech business, but anybody that's trying to build a Bitcoin business, that all, that inspires me because I was a serial entrepreneur. And and I feel like my skill set is not the best when it comes to like scaling up a business or managing a team. Um, but I am really good at like helping people and finding 
I'm a talent scout, I guess. Like I'm, I'm good at finding people who are worth investing in and supporting. And so, so this has worked for me where I, I'm always going to want to invest and help people and give advice and stuff like that. So I've managed to find a little carve out a little position for myself, I guess, as a Bitcoin angel investor, because Bitcoin's changed my life. And I feel like it's almost like my duty to, to do, do what I can. Cause I'm not a developer or, you know, I'm not a great writer. I, I, I'm a good writer, but like, I don't have the discipline and the focus to sit down and continually write. But what I am good at is FOMO. I'm a FOMO sapient. Like I get it. I, I'm, I'm one of those people that gets those feelings of like missing out and, and like, I know how to construct it. I know how to feel it. I, you know what I mean? So, so I'm doing my part to try to create some FOMO in the industry. And I think it's worked. I think I've had a little impact because before I started doing this, Bitcoiner Ventures was having problems getting people wanting to fund mm-hmm. projects. So like Bitcoiner Ventures, there's a telegram room where there was not much activity going on in that chat. It was like, it was like, you know, maybe once every few months would be a deal or once every six months or something like that. And there was just, we just had some problems getting people interested in investing in Bitcoin startups because there was this conception that there wasn't really that much going on. So then I was like, that's bullshit. Like we just need to like focus more and just show people that there is activity happening in the Bitcoin scene, in the Bitcoin venture scene. And one day I tweeted this out. I said, one day it's going to be the opposite problems we have now. Right now, it's very difficult for a Bitcoin founder to f- f- to fill their round and to yep. close their investment round. But one day, it's going to be very hard to actually get into a Bitcoin round. Mm-hmm. And that will make me happy when we get to that day, even if it means that I'm going to get squeezed out of rounds because I'm just an angel. And typically in the venture capital scene, the way that works is for some reason, you you kind of want to have a fund involved rather than a person. It's like more prestigious or whatever to have a fund involved and and individuals tend to get squeezed out once there's maturity in this, in the space. And that's happened to me already. So I'm, I'm kind of like in one way, I'm like, ah, like I feel frustrated that I didn't get into the round, but I, I set out to have an impact in this little way of creating this scarcity in Bitcoin rounds. So I've just been evangelizing Bitcoin startups and trying to promote as much as I can the idea of investing in Bitcoin startups and bringing together investors and having Skype calls or Zoom calls. I mean, where we we meet up once every couple of months and we discuss deals going on. And, you know, I, I, I did start to get squeezed out of rounds because now we've got like NYDIG has a fund and... um Elise Klein has a fund, Stillmark, yep. and uh, Jeff's fund. Ego Death Capital got started up. Yep, T- ten thirty one has a fund, TVP. So there's like, continue. There's more funds keep getting started up. Lightning Elfante Ventures Capital. as well. Le- yeah, Mike with Lightning Ventures, which is a syndicate that also mm-hmm. is doing a fund. And you know, I talk to Mike all the time, and we kind of work together on some deals. So. I, I've de- I've definitely like, you know, I'm not trying to toot my horn that this is because of me or anything like that. I'm just saying I think it's worked in, in me and a couple other people, me and a few other people, whatever, around at the same time had this kind of idea. It was like, it's kind of bullshit that there's so much activity in the crypto VC space yeah. and there's no there's not 
really any similar things happening in the Bitcoin scene. It was it was a lot of kind of disparate efforts here and there. Like there was funds set up for sure. There's lots of money available, but it wasn't being like targeted and organized as much. But now it's like super well, <laughs> not since the not since the last few months, but <laughs> it it is still very difficult to get into some of the deals. Like there's still some exclusive deals going around that you know it's whispered about that you 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 know it's, it's very difficult to get in but a lot of companies are kind of now we're in the bear market it's conservation of capital mode so a lot mm -hmm. of companies are still having issues closing their rounds and stuff but that's just all across the industry everybody's kind of pulling liquidity out from from everywhere at from the a, moment from a plebs point of view that can still join uh bitcoin adventures or lightning ventures via angel list and this is a global thing right anyone can sign <laughs> up and i think minimum minimum is usually set to a thousand bucks you're still getting in on deals like lightning ventures just managed to get on the cap table for strike you you could be part of strike for a thousand bucks now yeah what would you say to the plebs that are listening to this that are like hmm should i do that or should I just stack sats? So I would definitely say stack sats. Like if you're if you're still not to your stacking goal and you don't have your 10% of your net worth or whatever your number is, if, if you're listening to this podcast, your number is probably 100. But <laughs> <laughs> if you're not at your percentage, like if you you should have a goal. Are you promoting percentage. Bitcoin on my show, Brad? I'm a Bitcoin <laughs> promoter, man. I'm, I'm caught. Um Yes, uh, you're you're going to send me that check right after yeah, yeah, yeah. people who away. buy Bitcoin from it, you. You're going to give me ten percent. It's coming straight out of Lauren's wallet. Don't worry, I've got good, you. Good, good, good. So, I think like if it's, I'm I'm also invested in advising this company Digital D D I G I T L Digital, and this is a friend of mine who's an entrepreneur from before Bitcoin, and we've we've been kind of like in this entrepreneur group since like 2013. So before he got into Bitcoin and he got into Bitcoin in 2017 and he kind of went down the blockchain rabbit hole because he's not into Bitcoin so much as he's into stocks, securities. Like he's, he's a big securities guy. He, he loves the idea of fixing the problem with securities, which is that the accredited investor rules are basically there to keep people poor while they promote lottery tickets. Yep. So you can go buy a lottery ticket, but you can't buy a share in mm -hmm. a private round of a company, even if you've done your diligence and you know it's a good investment, right? So he he was very passionate about disintermediating that and and pushing forward the idea that anybody who has any kind of money that wants to invest that kind of shows that they're qualified in terms of intelligence should be able to put their money wherever they want. It took me a couple of years of like working with him and having phone calls and hooking him up with Blockstream for him to kind of completely come around to the idea that actually blockchain is not the answer. It's not, we don't need a blockchain token for like digital securities. You don't need to have like T0 or, you know, securitize or whatever. Like there's a bunch of crypto digital securities platforms. Now, he's now, full on with the lightning network and so he's developed technology with blockstream to and he's also working with bitfinex in terms of their digital security stuff to to be able to support 
companies to raise using the new laws from like the Jobs Act and stuff where it allows people to do micro investing. You know, like Reg Reg D, I think is Reg C F. There's all these regulations that allow you compliantly to be able to raise from smaller investors. And that is something that that I'm kind of passionate about as well. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of being able to have plebs be able to just pleb swarm invest in a Bitcoin startup. I think it's awesome. Uh, It's really cool. Like to be able to have like, I would love to, I I would have loved to do that. I would have loved to put like $500 into Geyser at like a really low valuation because I love the idea and I love the team. Because otherwise you're going to have to wait until it goes public and then you get it at like a billion dollar valuation and you're just like all the gains went to to the VCs. So we're trying to work on this thing where we normalize investing with these new regulations but doing it on the lightning on the liquid network with digital security tokens because you don't need trustlessness and permissionlessness for digital securities and stable coins you're already trusting somebody if you're buying a stock you're trusting the company you're trusting mm-hmm. the DTCC like you, you the the liquid network is perfect a perfect vehicle for digital securities game nfts like, you know, you can own your own game ship or whatever and just move it into your wallet. Like that stuff, because you're already trusting the game company. Anything that is digital that requires trust and doesn't need permissionlessness is perfect to put on Liquid Network. So anyways, the digital is doing that. And what we're going to be trying to do, Mike's on board with this from Lightning Ventures, is try to normalize the idea that Bitcoin startups should raise via these regulations that allows plebs to just throw in a you know a few hundred bucks if they want at low valuations and have a digital security token that can sit in their liquid wallet. So it could sit in green wallet or aqua or whatever as like the shares in your company. And that I think makes a lot of sense, but just all that to say that like if you're if you're investing at low valuations in Bitcoin startups, I think it makes sense. But for investing in something at a really high valuation, I think Strike's latest valuation was like in the billion dollar range or something like that. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me if you haven't got to your stacking goal yet, because I'm doing this almost like my Bitcoin tithing. Like I'm not trying to outperform Bitcoin. I don't think I'm going to outperform Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin's going to be a million dollars per coin by 2030. So I'm what I'm doing is actually taking a percentage of my net worth because my life's been changed by Bitcoin and I'm trying to give back and like help create more Bitcoin companies and help uh, support more people who are laying the rails for Lightning Network and building the infrastructure for DeFi on Bitcoin using security tokens and stable coins or whatever on side chains and like do things that help increase the value of my Bitcoin. Now, I'm probably going to have like half of a half of a percent of an impact compared to somebody like Michael Saylor or Jeff Booth or somebody like that. But if enough of people like me kind of get involved and all the momentum keeps pushing forward, like that is what's happening. There's so there's tons of individual Bitcoin angels now that are that are doing this. And many of us are not trying to beat Bitcoin. So I would say like great question and and like. 
it's not it's not a way to try to beat Bitcoin. I don't think that's very I don't think that's the strategy you should be approaching it with. And if you're trying to beat Bitcoin, you got to look at the valuation of the company and realize that it's a numbers game. Like startups are very hard. And just look at the shit coins for an example of that. Like a hundred shit coins fail for every one that succeeds, or a thousand shit coins fail. It's probably even more like ten thousand shit coins fail for every one that succeeds because there's like a million shit coins now. If you go on CoinGecko and look at it, it's like a million. Oh my tokens. god, it's crazy. So there's there's like twenty thousand that they even bother listing. So there's a million out there, but they only list like twenty thousand because the rest of them are just zeros. <laughs> so so yeah, like uh, I would I would recognize that it's a numbers game. You want to you you don't want to be investing in super high valuations. And if you haven't got to your stacking goal yet, then just just keep stacking sats and support companies in other ways. Like just retweet them, use their products, um, become yeah. a promoter. <laughs> Again, going back to guys that just throw fifty bucks at a project that you like the look of. You know, it's um that 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 does make a big difference. Uh, yeah. Oh man, we we've been riffing for almost two hours. I've just seen that. We'll have to do this again because clearly, like, it's too much fun. But I'm going to have to close it out with uh, the last question I ask everybody on the show. If you had just one orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? One orange pill, eh? Um <clears throat> Hmm. I kind of, I don't know if this is right, but I would, if I could, I would give it to Raul Paul. <laughs> you know, if I could, if I, I could it. re orange pill Raul Paul, I, I would do that <laughs> because I think he was very impactful and influential, but he went way up when he went off the deep end, he lost all of his reputation and now he's like, a net negative for the Bitcoin adoption. I don't know if that's a cheat. In, There's no in wrong answer, question. brother. There's no wrong answer. You can say <laughs> I would re re orange pill Raul Paul. That that's who because because yeah, I, I do think that he's a very important figure in that macro investing world, and having him just become a Bitcoiner versus a money making crypto guy would would be a, it would be a nice uh, ending to that story. And the last, my last ask is not a question, it's an ask. I know you currently uh, were subjected to and survived and went through a, a big hurricane that blew through your, your hometown, but I believe you did, well, I know you got to meet uh, a big hero of the, the Bitcoin community, the weatherman himself, Frankie McDonald. <laughs> can, yeah. you, can, can you give us your best... Bitcoin shout out for uh, in in the style of Frankie just just to close this one. Oh, out. you got it. We'll close it out with a Bitcoin <laughs> view. I love it. Everybody All right, Brad. should do that once a day. Once a day, definitely. Woo! Get in the, the shower. Going on that one. <laughs> All right, brother. Thanks for coming on. And yeah, like I said, we'll have to do this. Maybe maybe we'll do a New Year's show or something and uh, see see if we're pumping again. Right on. Well, it's good to finally get together and have a long chat. Been uh, been a pleasure, mate. Take care. Look forward to the next one. Bye bye. Well, there you go, plebs. 
That was my rip with uh, Brad Mills. Are you going to do it? He said you should do it once a day. Once a day. Bitcoin! Feels good. I can't lie. That feels good. I hope that didn't burst your eardrums. And if you're listening to the kids, get the kids doing it. Let's have some fun. And if you have no idea what that is in reference to, just Google Frankie McDonald Bitcoin and you'll get there. Uh, Huge thanks to Brad. Really very excited to see what happens with these companies that he is helping with his angel investing. I think this is a real turning point in our random little niche of people here. This is picking up speed. Bitcoin Adventures are doing their thing. Lightning Ventures are doing their thing. This is micro scale investing for you, the pleb. You can go and check out either one of those funds. You can start investing yourself for a minimum of $1,000. And then you can own a little piece of any one of these companies. And they've got some great deals between either one of these funds. You can even join both if you want. So go and check them out if this is something that you feel that you want to do to help the ecosystem. Uh, I do feel a shift in the winds. I feel there's money coming back into the space for Bitcoin-only companies. And I've got my fingers crossed that that is going to unleash the next round of incredible services in proving what we've already got, building on top of what we have, better privacy, better UX, whatever it is, it's being built behind the scenes. And Brad is a key part of helping these companies do that. So that's my shout out. One thing, yeah, go and check out Orange Pill app. They're gonna be launching very soon. They are in beta. Go to foreverlauraforever.com or just sign up on the email and wait wait for that to drop. It's going to be dropping pretty soon. It's going to be a, a fun app and a way for you guys to, to meet each other in meet space. Be stacking. Always be stacking. Put it on auto. You can do that with Swan, with Coin Corner, with Relay. These companies have got you. You'll be stacking whilst you're sleeping. Take control of them. Get them onto a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet and definitely try out a bit of coin joining do your own research go down the rabbit hole download wasabi it's desktop hit a receive address send across some coins wait for that to coin join and then put them back on your hardware device you are going to be shocked at how easy it is sit with that for a little while start the journey if you haven't already it's worth checking out you can check out my conversation with max hillebrand about five or six episodes ago to see um you know where this is going to lead you and and whether it's something you might want to consider uh, if you do want to get across to an in-person conference pacific bitcoin is coming up 10th and 11th of november get over to the west coast you can use the code prince for a discount is either 10 or 20 percent off i cannot remember but just hit the link in the show notes and go and check out the link tree because all of the um plebs out there that are looking for some kind of merch whether it's games or books for your kids whether it's t-shirts or any kind of streetwear it's all there these companies six and lemon 
uh, Consensus Network for the books, Shamari for your games and kids' books, uh, Ungovernable Misfits for your streetwear. They are offering you guys discounts anywhere between 10 to 15% off, whatever it is. Go and check it out. All links are in the show notes or hit my link tree as well to see what else is up there. Even my Movies Plus are on there now, offering you money off a uh, subscription. I can't shill all of these people, <laughs> and it's um, it's in your interest, obviously, to go and get that cash off if possible. So it's all on the link tree now. Take care, guys. I look forward to the next show. Thanks for hanging out and meeting so many of you in Amsterdam and in Prague, and I look forward to the next time I get to shake you guys by the hand.